it is only by going through the pain rather than finding strategies to go around it. I should have put that in the book. That sounded good. Yeah, it sounds really good. I did get that part recorded. I hadn't, I hadn't we've been talking. I haven't recorded a thing. Seriously? Uh, yeah. Yeah. How much more time, <laughs> how much more time do you have? <laughs> Hello, this is Todd Lipton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, with a podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically, or as we used to say in seminary days, theological reflection. Today on the podcast, I'm glad to have my friend Jason Michelli. You heard in that intro clip that this is really a do-over. We had a great conversation, but, uh, well, operator error. That's my operations uh, were in error, and we didn't get the entire conversation recorded. It's a shame it was good. So we, well, Jason forgave me. I forgive you. <laughs> and we got a do-over. And that's what's on the podcast today. I hope... Uh, you will run out and order a copy. Really, I frankly, I think if you happen to be a pastor or you um, have conversations with couples about life and faith, you could buy a case of these and, and hand them out, and you would be giving and providing couples with the greatest uh, gift you could uh, give them. And I think that uh, if you know folks who aren't married but are struggling with the you that they don't want anybody to know of themselves. This is a great book about grace and God's uh, one-way love. So uh, without uh, any more um, risks at Operation Error, here's my conversation with Jason Michelli. Today on the podcast, I'm glad to have uh, my friend Jason Michelli. Uh, one of the last times he was on, we were talking about uh, his first book, Cancer is Funny. And uh, I've been looking forward to this book since he told me um, it was in the docket. And so um, one of the advantages of friendship is to kind of get a sneak peek every now and then of what's going on. And um, so I've, I've got the opportunity to um, maybe help uh, get something out early about the book. So, Jason, I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. It is a pleasure to be on here with you again, Todd. <laughs> hey, Jason, um, since the last time we we're on, you are no longer at your former charge. So tell us what you're doing, where, what church you're at. Uh, I am at a church called Annandale United Methodist Church, which is um, close to my last church, just close enough to be make moving an inconvenience um, in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. Well, good. Well, the book drops on Sunday. And uh, I did try to go over and leave a review on Amazon, but it won't let me yet. So I'll keep watching and, and see when it does. So, Yeah, Sunday Sunday in graduation season has to be the best time to release a book, I think. I mean, I, I think that's uh, just <laughs> editorial uh, prescience uh, at work. So, yeah. So, hey, um, the, the title of your book is, is Living in Sin. And um, making marriage work between I do and death. And so you make a point early on that this is not a book about marriage, but it is a book about marriage, specifically about your marriage. So how are you working that uh, fine line to uh, in, in an environment where many couples will be looking for a book to help them negotiate what they've discovered about their marriage after they've said, I do. 
Um, the way I approached it was thinking about, um, you know, there's an adage among fiction writers that that which is most personal or particular is what is most universal, um, that we're all unique and yet we're all the same. And so I wanted to, rather than write a Christian book about marriage, I wanted to write a marriage book about Christianity. And so I wanted to um, be honest um, as much as my wife would allow um, <laughs> and vulnerable and give give some snapshots from our marriage um, and not romanticized or naive snapshots of our relationship, but um, scenes from uh, an, an often difficult time in our marriage and to use those scenes to flesh out what Christians mean by some of our stained glass language like faith and grace and sin uh, and judgment and forgiveness. Um, and so, so I wanted to, to kind of use our marriage as a textbook for what Christians mean by this language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think overall the, the, the reason for that is that uh, I think when you tie all of those Christian words together, what they teach you is that uh, God is not a God who, you know, is far above us, but God is a God who in Jesus Christ meets us in our shame and suffering. And so I think the great lie of lots of advice-based marriage books that um, <laughs> pastors often write, um, you know, like the, the lie behind them is that if you just follow these three steps uh, or you listen to these nuggets of wisdom, you can get around the difficulty in your marriage to a better place. And the the trajectory of the Christian story and the wisdom by what we mean by grace is that the way the way to a better place is to go through the suffering. Um, and so I didn't want to give advice, though I think there's lessons in it to be gleaned. Uh, I, I wanted to give scenes from us kind of journeying through the difficult places. Yeah. And I think that maybe it would be helpful for, so let's say first time listeners or someone who hadn't, hadn't picked up your first book. And of course the allusion in the title to cancer certainly probably led someone to conclude someone in the family, someone in the marriage had cancer. So it might be helpful that when you are describing that we're, we're talking about, you know, um, how uh, about Christianity uh, told through the lens of um, a suffering period in a marriage might be helpful to set the context because um, I, I would guess that the majority of people who uh, go to look for a book uh, on marriage um, are not necessarily thinking that gravely about mm-hmm. their experience. They're, they're, they got themselves in a financial predicament. Um, they've got uh, more than one child and they're wrestling through um, maybe adolescence, or um, maybe they're at a particular stage and they're um, uh, involved in taking care of elderly parents, and they they mm-hmm. find the stresses and strains. But when when you've got between death and I uh, between I do and death, you have you have your experience and the suffering that you and Allie faced was. Um, I don't want to minimize someone's financial difficulty, but it's much different. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so my, my, my first book was Cancer is Funny, um, and that narrated a um, experience of about a year and a half 
um, which is about five years ago now, um, of having emergency surgery and discovering I have this this rare incurable cancer um, and sort of my year of intense chemo and, and all that that entailed. And, and now, uh, I, I you know, so when I was going through that, I fully expected not to live. Um, that those, you know, so the, <laughs> the odds were not ever in my favor, um, to quote, you know, Hunger Games. And so, hmm. uh, you know, and, and and I'll never be in remission and it will come back, um, you know, sooner rather than later. And so that that's a part of our new reality. But I got a reprieve from death. Um, and so this new book, Living in Sin, picks up from, from there um, and narrates kind of the struggles that I have personally had as a husband um, and father feeling this incredible burden of expectations placed upon me to now have to live in such a way that I merit the miracle that we've been given. Um, you know, and so it's, it's hard that, you know, when, when you don't die and everyone expected you to do to die and, and now they, they project onto you, Oh, well, like your marriage must be wonderful now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you're just so lucky and every, every day must be a gift and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and all of that's true. But like, you know, so like, Todd, if you set out every morning to make the day ahead of you the most meaningful day that you ever had, you would exhaust yourself and you would probably make everyone in your life miserable. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what I found happening to us. And, you know, and, and I think, so I, you know, I wrote the book the way I did because I think that, that, that burden of expectations that we felt placed upon us post cancer is just a unique and maybe intense example of the expectations that every relationship feels upon itself when they get married. Um, Cause our culture conditions us to intermarriage with, um, very romantic idealized understandings of what it's like to live with another person. Yeah. And and I mean, to keep us kind of connected with telling the story of Christianity through the lens of this period of your marriage, many people feel life full of expectations. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, you know, um, that would be a common kind of connecting point for a lot of people who, whether it's a young person who has undue expectations laid on them by their parents that they're going to be this instead of that, um, or whether it's it's a peer group who ha- sets up the expectations if you're going to be in the in-group and you feel just overwhelmed by those expectations. There are, um, we always, from some angle, don't you think, encounter um, a level of expectation that someone should easily identify, though not, not maybe as, as grave a situation, but as weighty a situation as what am I to do with all of that? And how is yeah. that not going to crush me? Yeah, no, I think, you know, that which you can measure is is also that which you can be a failure at. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so like I'm the product of, you know, a general... I'm part of a culture where there's helicopter parents and tiger moms and standards of learning and, and like all sorts of battery of tests and 
it's all about getting into the right college and like having your wedding look like the picture in the magazine and you know all all this stuff and so so it's not just relationships but our our relationships um you know, I think because, you know, marriage is where we spend most of our time with with one person in particular. And so like that's that marriage, I think, becomes the home for all the other expectations that we feel upon us. Um, yeah, and, and I wonder from that um, you uh, um, well, I, I got a I got a quote here that um, I love it when people read me back to me. Yeah, I'm you know it's it's like he's whispering sweet nothings in your ear i know um what i what i what i've kind of wanted to get at is is that at that particular point um when we are faced with the burden of all and weight of all those expectations we are looking for a means to kind of tell ourselves a different story or narrate things differently or be more mindful or whatever happens to be the kind of the new advice uh that that we're offered for our way out but um you you actually um, kind of put this in the context that drills down just what you said in terms of marriage kind of is a place where all these things become even more um, acute to us and we're more aware of them. When you said sin names the symptoms of the sickness called the self we'd rather not see, there is no better venue for the stranger you call you to be revealed than marriage. And and so how how is it that um, we can recover sort of that that um, self-awareness in a, in an environment and in a culture that's constantly telling us that the problem really is, is you need just a little bit more quiet time uh, with yourself. You, you need to tell yourself just a, a little bit, you know, that, that, you know, really you're not as bad or things aren't as bad, or you, you find some vehicle, some, some Avenue to where um, you can kind of be transported away from those realities for, you know, any, any given period of time, but you always come back to the fact that, I wake up and here I am all over again and I, I haven't faced anything. And, and I'm, I really don't like considering myself like experiencing sin, whether it's uh, something I do or a power that's at work or so how do you, how do you, I mean, you're, that's pretty prominent in, in what you're writing. In, in other words, that theme yeah, I, I think um, I, I understand that sin is a fraught word, both in in our culture and in a lot of our church cultures too. Even, um, and so I think the dominant way I'm trying to to use it is um, so in Paul's letter to the Romans, he he talks about how the law or the the commandments of God, or, or to put it in relational terms, the expectations of God. Um, rather than encouraging us to meet them, actually elicits the opposite. Um, and so expectations that are placed upon us actually produce from us um, unhelpful, destructive, harmful behavior. Um, and so what I, you know, so, so part of the, what I'm airing in the book is, is how the burden I felt placed upon me, um, given the, the, the reprieve I got um, resulted in some, you know, not very good behavior in my relationship because I didn't know what to, I didn't have a place for those expectations. Um, you know, and, and then just kind of generally, I, I think, you know, one of the great gifts of the Protestant tradition to the larger world is this idea that, um, 
you know, this side of heaven, we're, we're, we always remain some sort of mixture of sinner and saint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the path forward isn't trying to find the right advice to eliminate that other part of us. Um, but, you know, we are healed by the message that we are accepted even with that being true about us. And I think, you know, I think oftentimes, um, you know, so as a pastor, I meet with lots of couples um, going through marriage problems and lots of couples wanting to get married. And, and, you know, like sometimes people can reach out for advice and wisdom and strategies and steps and lessons and, and all this stuff which are all forms of law. <laughs> um, we can reach out for those as an antidote when really like the antidote is marriage itself. Um, the fact that someone else has pledged to be with you unconditionally, no matter what you do and no matter who you turn out to be. Um, and, and, and that safety and that freedom and that grace of knowing if my wife sees the real me behind the facade that I present as me, um, if she sees that and accepts it, th- that is more healing and more of a bomb than reading, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me that maybe, maybe um, and this phrase is relatively new to me, but it seems that marriage is a reminder of our low anthropology. Um, <laughs> that in in the in that sense that. Um, we, we're always trying to be what we think the other person wants us to be when all the while we're, we're really uh, in, inwardly looking for someone to love us because of who we are, not who our perceptions that we either want to project or the wish dream fulfillment that we think someone has for us. Yeah, I think, oh gosh, I can't remember. There's some movie, there's some line from some crime movie and the, the character says something about, you know, like you don't really, you never give up your life of crime. You just run out of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I think, you know, one of the things that makes long marriages rich is that at some point you just like, don't have the fuel to keep up the pretense anymore. And your true self is revealed both to your partner and to yourself. Um, and once that happens and, you know, you give each other the grace to renegotiate what your relationship looks like moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's more true and more life-giving than. Well, when you, when you uh, undertake to, to um, uh, give us a story of Christianity through the lens of your marriage, you, you invoke the um, uh, notion of parable. Marriage is a parable, and and so really, I think your your book seems to be actually a series of parables that are interconnected, that are telling the story that you're describing. So, if, if we were going to lay that out, and since that's kind of the hermeneutic for the book, that that's one of the things you you kind of lay out that, that what's at work here is. Mm-hmm. is um, so. Um, if, if we're going to adopt the idea that parables are stories Jesus told about himself, and if we're trying to explicate Christianity through the parable of marriage, 
Um, what's next? So once we look through the lens of marriage, and, and, it, and it can sound a little bit like um, uh, halcyon. Uh, oh, once you realize that you know you've you both kind of are, are mired in in under the weight of these expectations, and and you can renegotiate. But there's there's another phrase you you use that that you know we probably ought to tease out, and that is some something happens in that relationship that can occur with just one it's pretty cool when it's both maybe even both at the same time but you use the phrase one way love because you're telling the story of christianity through the lens of your marriage and mm-hmm. that's a theme that we pick up christianly so when we're talking stained glass language if you will and we're talking about one way love kind of kind of give us a vignette of 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 you know, how that works next. So here you are with um, th- this reprieve and, and, the, and the weight of these expectations. Every day has got to be like it's my best last and everything we do has got to be just like earth shattering, you know, and, and it just becomes unbearable. What, how, what, what was, how do you discover in that period of, difficulty and suffering that it, it, it was uh, time to look at how God's one way love was showing up for you. Um, uh, that's a good question. I think, um, I mean, to think parabolic, parabolically what I, you know, I think, yeah. So what, I mean, the parable of parables is the parable of the prodigal father right and so it's it's the father who runs out to embrace the the wayward son who has not repented or apologized and probably is just coming home because he's hungry um and and that that is a snapshot jesus says of of who god is and god's kingdom and and i and i think that's you know the a good reminder that um so much of the relationship advice and wisdom that we imbibe from the culture while good intentioned and maybe helpful uh, times um, is off is also not Christian. Um, that so much of the advice and um, kind of conventional accepted wisdom that we have is that relationships need to be reciprocal 50 um, 50. Um, and that sounds like it makes sense and probably it does make sense. Um, but God's grace does not make sense. And God's grace, you know, the, the story of God coming to us is not God coming to us while we um, were chagrined about our character or the state of the world that we have created. It's the God coming to us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet ungodly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's the power of that promise of grace that produces new life in us. Um, and so if that's true for who God is and how God relates to us, like that should be the the grain of our relationships that we try to follow. But so often we have this like reciprocal 50-50 that goes against the grain of what God shows us as grace. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, and I think that's true in, in most people's, like if you step back, um, you know, I know in, in my own marriage and, and I've narrated parts of it in the book is, is that when we've gotten to a new place, it isn't where we've both decided to equitably meet each other in the middle, um, confessing our sins and, and, and making promises to each other. It's when one of us 
um, has been completely gratuitously offered a forgiveness that we didn't deserve. Mm. Um, and, and the shock of that, um, the shock of that allows you to understand um, and trust the love of the other such that you can kind of step out and be a different person. Yeah. Um, when I, I hear you uh, describing that, I, I think of the countless, which I, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. Yeah. You know, but that like, that's where, um, that's where like, you know, marriage and Christian marriage are two different things. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, mm-hmm. it's important for, I think, um, for like the people that I wed to, to have faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, um, because 50, 50 reciprocity, that does make sense. And that's how we've arranged the world. And to give someone else a hundred percent when they're giving us nothing, um, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it could be taken for granted. Sure. And, and leave you taken advantage of. And so, you know, for, for that to, to like to work in a marriage, like really requires like both of, of the people involved in the marriage to, to trust that God's grace isn't like a concept, but is actually like, you know, the, 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 like the beating heart of everything. And that, and that, that, that helps with where I was thinking of going because, um, before I interrupted you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's your book. So you, you got the floor. Damn right. Uh The, 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 the thing that to me is, uh, poignant there is that um, it is very difficult to combat the air we breathe and the dirt we walk in. Mm-hmm. And and when we're asked to go against the grain, so to your point of distinguish between Christian marriage and marriage, if, if a marriage doesn't have the resource of the experience of one-way love, then the default is going to be what comes natural for us. And if what's natural is we've got this um, uh, principle of reciprocity at work, this 50-50, and even if we want to amp it up and say it's really 100-100, we're still looking for you're not giving as much as I am. But then when we reach those moments, as you describe in the book, where um, I've, I've made this discovery of myself and the self that I am, uh, isn't really different than the self that was. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really instrumental when the other person expressed that one-way love that became, that made the transformative moment occur, or at least the recognition that, hey, I don't have to live under the weight of that. I don't have to be a, a rear end. I, you know, and so the the tide can turn when one person in the relationship, in terms of Christian marriage, when one person expresses that one way love that they've experienced. Um, but you're not in any way suggesting that that's like um, like a you know special silver bullet. No, I, I think um, to the extent. I mean this is more specifically Christian and more theological, but to the extent that it takes two, it, 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 it takes two because, you know, 
every Christian who gets married in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit believes that, you know, Christ is the bridegroom of, of your, of the couple. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's really not like bride and groom giving each other like 100, 100 or um, 50, 50. It's that you know, most time it's like, well, I'll give you 10 and she'll give me 20. And, and like, you know, like, you know, like it sounds cheesy as shit, but like, you know, like, like I, I like, honestly though, like if Jesus is not like alive and Lord and present in a marriage, it's the stupidest freaking thing in the world to get involved in. <laughs> and it, and it's a miracle that like the divorce rates aren't higher than they are. Yeah. Yeah. Which begs, you know, I mean, old detour, which, which begs the question that maybe those particularities have not been emphasized in discipleship enough, if we can use that terminology or in, you know, painting the picture of what it, what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus, to use a Willard idea. Uh, when we talk about marriage with someone such that the divorce statistics are relatively the same mm-hmm. for those who are Christian and those who don't profess to be. Maybe, maybe there's a lack expressed there. Certainly maybe some, and I hate to use the language of fault, but certainly maybe on the fault of the couple that fails to recognize that, but certainly maybe on the side, our side of things, on our, our side of the equation, that maybe we've, we've handed them one too many book um, that actually is, hey, before you say I do, here's this checklist. And we've not emphasized what. Oh yeah, no. I mean, like, I mean, my own tradition. Like, we're encouraged to pass out like personality tests to couples and, and all that. And I've never done that. I'm like, if you guys, if you guys need to fill out this test before you get married, you shouldn't be getting married. Right. Um, and you know, but I, but I think you know, we've got this very superficial. So in the culture and in the church, we've got a very superficial understanding of what marriage means, and we think um, that if two people you know feel a certain way about each other, they just get to do it. Um, and that's, you know, when you're in love is like the worst time to be making a life altering decision. Like that's not interesting at all. And, and from the perspective of the church, like, you know, like the purpose and it's very clear in the introduction to the very ancient, right. That is common in almost all traditions that the purpose and it's in scripture, it's in St. Paul. Um, like, you know, the purpose of marriage is to be a sign of how Christ relates to his his church. Um, and, and that means that the purpose of marriage is not to give legal scripturally safe expression to two people who are in love and want to have sex with each other. Um, it's that these two people in their relationship with each other, which means in their forgiveness and grace and mercy, they show one another, they are to build up the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, you know, as pastors and as Christians, you know, we should not be evaluating people who want to get married based on whether, you know, well, Joey likes to do the dishes and Mary likes to vacuum. And so that's how they're going to divide up their, their labor. Right. Um, We should instead be evaluating, like, do the two of them together bring fruit to the body of Christ that the body of Christ would otherwise be bereft of. Mm -hmm. And if that's not clear, they shouldn't be getting married. In Christ's name. 
Right. I, I, you were, you were, you started. The book there. is a lot less preachy than that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, re- I remember listening to the late Mike Iaconelli tell the story um, about his same discovery you're, you're making there about, you know, being in, in love is the worst time to make the decision about getting married. He said, you know, so he actually did like use, and I, he may have done so facetiously, but I think the Myers-Briggs was probably pretty, pretty popular. And so maybe he handed out something and he met with them and he was like, listen, uh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> of course, you know, they're all their answers are, you know, uh, you, you guys realize you are just, I mean, the polar opposites, you know, and it's, I know love attracts, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he went through this list, you know, he's like, finally, it's just like, listen, you can't tell anybody who comes to you. You know, because that's the way our culture has informed our understanding of that relationship, this romantic, idealized kind of experience where some sane collared type sitting across the desk is trying to say, wait a minute, this is about something a whole lot different Mm -hmm. than what you're talking about. And, uh, and I, I use the, I use the quote in the book, um, from a philosopher, you know, that, um, expectations are the enemies of love mm. and i think that that's um yeah. you know and, and i and there's a story from the old testament that i use too like uh jacob and leah and rachel mm. and, and mm. it's kind of a cringy story with lots of <laughs> problematic <laughs> like layers to it but if you can strip all that away you know it's a great metaphor because you know jacob falls in love with a woman m- marries her after much travail um, parties too hard on, at the wedding and he wakes up and like, lo and behold, he's, he's married to her, the sister instead. <laughs> and, and I think that's true of everybody that like, you know, marriage is waking up one day and discovering that the person you married is different than the person who's lying next to you. And, you know, marriage is what you do when you finally discover that you didn't know what you were doing when you said, I do. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's why like the vows don't give a shit about how, the couple feel about each other. Right. Like there's nothing about love in there at all. It's like, okay, like sickness, health, better, worse, like they're all going to come. What what are you two going to do about each other now? Right. And it's that constancy. It's that promise of constancy that gives permission for the true self to be revealed and loved and forgiven. Yeah, it reminds me of the story you told in your first book, um, you know, when you are kind of at your sickest um, and um, you were reflecting. You, you, it was first in a blog post and you pulled it and kind of worked it into the book. But, you know, where you you basically um, reminded those of us who read it back then that um, we never know what we're saying I do to. Mm-hmm. And, and so not just do we wake up feeling as though we're married to uh, a person different than we thought, we are waking up in circumstances that we never anticipated. Yeah, yeah. And if the vows are predicated on how we happen to be feeling at the moment, rather than our commitments, as you said earlier, to grace and forgiveness and, and, uh, and love, then the... Uh, uh, the, the results are devastating um, because 
than in the picture you painted was, you know, there you were and I, and if I, you know, you'd been sick and, and you're in the hospital bed and, and Allie gets in the bed with you. And it's like, you know, the thought occurred to you, like, like who of us ever thought this is what I do would mean. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I now I've, I've cribbed that I've stole that. That's, that's, you know, worked into, I told a couple that I've got a wedding tomorrow uh, evening and, and, um, you know, I, I tell the story and, you know, it, even at that, it's still, um, you know, the, the, this rush to convince the minister that I've got that already kind of, I'm already committed to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, I think it's, uh, yeah. it's, I mean, that, that's, um, I mean, that's what makes marriage a leap of faith, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you're saying I do to the person in front of you, but you're also saying I do to whoever and whatever they become. And that's something yeah. that um, can't be known or anticipated because they, like the very fact of your life together will change both of you. Mm. Um, oh, sometimes yeah. for, you know, the worse. And, and, and so that's just, yeah, I, I mean, I, so, you know, and I think, Stanley Harawas talks about how Christianity is just extended training and learning how to die. Mm. Um, and I think if marriage is a subset of, of Christianity, like that's, you mm. know, yeah. you're, you're helping one another be, be vulnerable enough to die as, as the person you are rather than the person you pretend to be. Yeah. I'm going to push you though a minute. I mean, cause certainly, um, we are hopeful that 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 leap and however we want to couch the experience as preparation for you know something to come. We have the anticipation, though, at some point that I'm probably going to at least be a little bit better at one way love after ten years, twenty years, thirty years than I was in year one. Mm-hmm. And so you put up a quote today. I think it was so you put that Jen, Jensen quote up about uh, <laughs> sanctification. So, so um, you know, so at that particular point, uh, I don't remember the the exact quote. I didn't memorize it, but you know, his his argument was it's a, you, you return to your baptism. So. You know, at some point along the way, I do is you're returning to your I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you just have to make that a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you fit that in? Um, I mean, because certainly you're offering encouragement when you, um, you know, use your story as illustration. Um, you know, your presentation of Mockingbird, for example. I mean, nobody could have left there thinking like, I can't wait to get home and be a jerk. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I mean, I think, you know, where faith becomes important is, is you have to trust that what grows you and nurtures you, um, what improves you. <laughs> I don't like to use that language, but yeah, right. um, or sanctifies you to use like Christian speech um, is not trying to get better and not trying to improve and not like you don't become, you don't become a saint by trying to be saintly. Right. Um, you become a saint 
you you improve, you grow in your marriage by um, leaning into the forgiveness offered to you by the other. Um, And so, you know, Luther, Martin Luther referred to uh, a pastor as the local forgiveness person and, 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 and stressed that you know, the life of the Christian growing in grace is someone who returns to the truth of their baptism every time. And so by that, he means the baptism is the place where you have died to your sin. Mm. Um, And that promise of free, unmerited forgiveness from God um, is what sets you free, um, you know, to grow in grace and and live a different life. And so I I think it's, it's, you know, sure, marriages grow and change and develop and improve. Um, but the the fact of and the need of forgiveness from the other doesn't go away. Oh no! Um, and it's and I think it's 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 those moments that enrich a marriage. Yeah. Um, you know, and the opposite of that, what like I see often in couples, um, is when when you're stuck in like if if you're not. If you enter marriage not with a, a grace model in your head, but instead uh, a scorekeeping model, mm-hmm. which is kind of how we're all hardwired. To like, oh, yeah. You know, like, well, she did this, so, you know, I'm going to do this. Or, like, well, she's never really made it up to me because of this. And so, like, whatever, I'm not going to. Um, you know, when you have this, like, balance sheet mm-hmm. uh, about your relationship, like, that's just a breeding ground for bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so... You know, and, and so like if she if she owes you, um, well, who is she to forgive you? Like she owes you, right. um, you know. And so like if you're constantly keeping score, you never have the opportunity um, for genuine, spontaneous, uh, free forgiveness. Um, and so like you're actually, you know, it's like you're in the desert and you're walking away from the oasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I've. I hesitate, and if you prefer, you know, we can edit. But um, you know, at, at at some issues that enter a marriage become exceedingly difficult to forgive. And and so, uh, where how do you um, address those issues? Whether it's um, Neglect, abuse, adultery. I mean, those are very significant realities. And, and so some might hear a couple of pastors um, hmm. and extrapolate what we have, you know, talked about and what we've emphasized in talking about Christian marriage and Christianity and those themes and construe that... Um, are we suggesting that someone, you know, endure those things to their own demise? Yes. No, I'm not saying that. No, I know. Um. <laughs> but I mean, so, you know, I naturally was thinking about that because, I mean, you know, emphasizing forgiveness, one-way love. And, and you know, we're talking about the normal course, but when you have one of those um, traumatic events. Mm-hmm. There are lots of other things to take into consideration. How, how are you going to respond to any kind yeah, of pushback? No. Well, so, I mean, I think my first response would be, 
um, my first response to be would be that um, I I write the way I write, and I wrote about what I wrote about to unromanticize what people might have think of Christian marriage, um, and and so, so to give permission to people that imperfect and sometimes difficult marriages are the norm. Um, and that if you happen to be in a Christian marriage and your marriage is imperfect or unhappy or doesn't meet expectations, um, it, it's, it's not somehow an aberrant form of marriage that you need to like feel bad about and beat yourself about. Good. That'd be my first response. And the second Good. response would be that, um, that's why I think the language of parable and, you know, the language that Paul uses is that of sign, um, rather than, you know, like, like in the Catholic church, it's, it's sacrament. And sometimes Protestants like to talk about covenants. Mm. Um, and of course a covenant is a contract sealed in blood, which, um, you know, like that's heavy. It's heavy. Like that's heavy. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I think, but it, like the idea of a parable or a sign means that, um, the point isn't that you've now entered something that you can't get out of, or God's going to be pissed at you. Mm. You know, like actually it's a parable and a sign of the good news that God is not pissed off at you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also, you know, it's a sign like, so like, you know, your marriage is a sign, but your marriage is not like, you know, the be all end all. Right. And so if, if, you know, for whatever reason, like if, if your marriage is not parabolically pointing to this larger story of, of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, um, then it's no longer serving the function that it is, is meant to serve. And, mm. uh, you know, and if it's not, if it's not pointing onward to this for whatever reason, um, you know, to say that, to say that grace is one way love and that, showing one way love to another is like, that's still not a strategy and it's right. You know, and it's not like another form of advice. Yeah. Um, that's just the way that God loves us. And mm -hmm. like, we should trust, we should trust God enough to try to love that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not God and we, we can't make it happen all the time. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, I think, I mean, my, my own parents divorce was just, you know, officially recognize what had already been true since like as far back as I can remember. Like, yeah. and so, yeah, I'm not to, to say that people need to show one another grace and that that's where newness in your marriage comes from is, is not to say that everyone is like consigned to a fate to, to just constantly give and never receive. That's, that's yeah. not at all what I would say. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty helpful. And, and the only thing it came to mind is I think sometimes you know, let's say someone happens onto your book or happens onto this podcast, um, and they're at a at a pretty difficult place. We we hear the things that we think are going to be the strategy or the salve, mm -hmm. and so at some point it needs to be at least identified um, that you know, as you as you put it, it's not the sign; it's a sign. And yeah, yeah, and and I think so. you know, and like if there's a if there's an honest underside to what we mean by grace, it's it's that um, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, people don't change, right? You know, and what what Christian love is is loving the person who didn't change, 
Right. Um, and so like, so, you know, on the one hand it can sound romantic and ideal, but on the other hand, it's, it's, I think it's more realistic than the romantic understandings of love we have in our culture. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really like to talk to someone who's, who's written a book and try to get them to tell everything in the book because then it's like, well, just listen to the podcast and, and don't buy the book. So, uh, or you could buy the book, not read it, and listen to the podcasts. Well, just buy the book. That's I mean, fine. that's how, whatever whatever means you need. Just get out and buy the book. I, but the point really is is that these are some important themes, and 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 I think that unless I were to you know take another little bit and whisper sweet nothings from your book in your ear, folks really need to know this is a really good book. I mean, it's 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 really well written and. You know, you're gonna. Uh, if you're listening, you're gonna think, "Oh, you just bias. You just, you know, um, trying to shine on Michelle." And I'm like, you know, no, really, <laughs> it's a really good book. Um, and if, and particularly, uh, um, a good book to help explicate uh, Christianity through the lens or the parable of marriage. And so, in that regard, I think it's a gift. And um, so, I can't wait. I, I I plan to buy a bunch and and uh use them better better yeah (laughs) and uh and so is there anything else that you like you know your publicist publicist would be mad we didn't cover um (laughs) on the podcast Uh, i don't i don't think so i mean yeah i talk about sex a little bit in there and uh james baker the televangelist and 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 what infomercials and oh the vitamix you, and you, and you have to buy the book and jesus there's some jesus in there and i mean <laughs> there's a lot of jesus and what do you mean there's a little jesus? <laughs> the enneagram and parenting and uh, so it's it's yeah, um yeah 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 so i mean i guess and i guess yeah i mean that's what i would say is is it is a little bit about our kids too or not just a little bit but um because that is also a part of the better and worse that you're signing on to. So. Sure. Sure. Well, thanks, man. Well, thank you, sir. I will thank let you hit the, hit the links now. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening. And I hope that uh, you found this conversation beneficial. Actually, I hope you found it inspiring enough that you've already paused the recording and you went out and you ordered Jason's book. And uh, if you think that it might help to encourage others to uh, discover this gem, then uh, share the podcast. Uh, uh, Use your favorite podcatcher, uh, post it on Facebook, send it out on Twitter, let folks know about this conversation. And, and of course, we'd love you to uh, let folks know uh, that you're a a listener of Pathological. And remember, you can subscribe on your favorite podcatcher and iTunes. Uh, it would be helpful if you'd leave us a, a rating. Uh, even better if you would scratch out uh, maybe a one-sentence review or two of how you've found the podcast helpful. You know, with summer uh, right on us and the schedule pretty uh, full, um, podcasts may be a bit slower churning out until August, but uh, we are looking forward to a conversation with David Fitch on his new book, Us Versus Them. That book drops in July, and we'll get a conversation set with him and uh, post it for you in, in uh, also uh, hopes of helping him uh, get the word out about a great book that's uh, forthcoming. So, well, uh, as always, uh, I want to thank you for listening and um, 
share the podcast. This has been Todd Lilton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Peace.